the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Welcome again, folks, to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour right here. On those call letters, you know them, AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word in Orlando. And we're always so pleased when you join us. Um, So is Pete Piquette. He's our engineer and uh, gets us on the air beautifully. Andrew Hurdliska is the producer. And I want to introduce to you Brent Patrick. I like that name. McDougal. Uh, He's the senior pastor of the First Baptist Church of Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, We're going to talk about his book, Prayer Power, 40 Days of Learning to Pray Like George Mueller. Brent, welcome to Orlando. I hope you're well. Thank you, Pat. I'm doing very well. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity to talk to you today. Tell me about your book. I'm so excited for this new book, Pat. I wrote it um, over the course of the last two years, and it really is the uh, sort of the um, product of a journey I've been on of wanting to learn to have more power in prayer. For many years, I heard about George Mueller, who was a 19th century pastor who, over the course of his lifetime, uh, cared for over 10,000 orphans. He had an incredible ministry, but the real story of George Mueller's life was that he was a, a great man of faith, and he, um, he never asked for um, assent toward his ministry. He just prayed. And he said that over the course of his ministry, he saw over 50,000 answers to prayer. And there are all kinds of incredible stories about how God answered prayer for George Mueller. And I remember reading these stories and thinking, I want to live that kind of life. I want to know what it is to have power in prayer. That's the journey that I began on. And now um, I want other people to experience that, that same journey. What was Mueller's background? He was a pastor. He accepted Christ as, uh, as a young man, and uh, originally um, not from England, but he came to Bristol, England, as a, as a missionary. His family was in Prussia, but he felt called to come and to serve. And in, um, in Bristol, England, he had accepted a small pastorate, but um, he looked around and he saw just the, the vast need of children who were on the street children that needed education, uh, children that were abandoned and, and needed a safe place to live. And so he, he also saw many people in Bristol, England, that um, didn't have much faith. They didn't have much belief in the power of prayer. So in launching an orphanage, he felt like God wanted him to give a, uh, a visible picture or a living kind of proof that God still answers prayer and that the promises of Scripture are not just for the super saints. They're for everybody, and uh, and that prayer was answered again and again. 
Brent <clears throat> McDougal is our guest. The book, Prayer Power. Are there some prayer uh, tips, prayer secrets that you sure. can share with us, Brent? Uh, what, what, sure. what makes us yeah. prayer warriors? How do we do it? Yes. Well, you know, Pat, they're not secret in the sense of hidden and only uh, given to the few. But, you know, like all biblical truth, um, you really have to seek after it. And there's so much noise in our world. People feel consumed by words all around them and opinions that push them here and there. You really do need to hone in on what the Bible has to say about prayer. And that was Mueller's heartbeat. He lived to, um, uh, to really bring glory to God. And he read the scriptures uh, four times a year. He read through the Bible four times a year. And um, he believed that the promises that Jesus had about prayer were, were true. And so some of those secrets that were given are just um, that which were revealed through Jesus' words. You know, um, six sort of principles are to abide in Christ, as he said in John 14, abide in me and I will abide in you. You can't expect to have power in prayer if you're not abiding in him every day. The second truth is around complete dependence on God, so not just the language of faith, um, the you know surface level of faith, but a true uh, dependence on God for everything. And then he talked about the importance of forsaking sin. Uh, if you have known sin in your life, it's likely going to block the power that you experience in prayer. Uh, the fourth principle is the exercise of faith, so being willing to step out in faith. And Mueller did that again and again. I've seen the power of that in my own life when I believe in the promises of God and, and, um, and pray in such a way that then stirs me to do something. The, the last two, Pat, have to do with not only exercising faith, but then learning to pray according to God's will. Uh, as Jesus said, you know, ask in my name and it will be done for you. It's important to pray not in our own will, but in God's will. And then to persevere in prayer. And maybe, Pat, one of the greatest things I learned from Mueller's life is that Christians give up way too soon when it comes to prayer. Uh, we don't persist. We don't continue to pray, as Jesus said, that we should always pray and never give up. So Mueller said, if you put these six things into practice, then um, it's for everybody, and, and all of us can have power in prayer. The subtitle of your book, 40 Days of Learning to Pray Like George Mueller, uh, what's the significance of 40 days? Right. Well, in the Bible, there are so many examples of um, 40 days being a season of discernment and sometimes even in the wilderness. Think of Jesus being tempted for uh, 40 days. There are many examples in the Old Testament of 40 days or 40 years of, of wandering in the wilderness. And so I wrote this as a daily devotion, uh, short chapters, 40 of them, so that people would not spend you know, as much time, I want them to get something out of the book, but I really want people to be in God's Word and in, and in prayer. I didn't want to write something that was so long that it would take up all of their time, you know, in, uh, in devotion. So 40 chapters that um, each offer um, a little vignette. It's a story about uh, an answer to prayer, a teaching from George Mueller's life, um, a biblical truth, and then a takeaway at the end, uh, something that people can hold on to and reflect on, just a simple phrase that sort of um, boils down the teaching from that chapter. Brent, did, did Mueller write? Did he share all these thoughts in writing? 
All that he left behind uh, by way of writing was what's called his narrative. He wrote a book called A Life of Faith. Uh, people urged him. Uh, they said, George Mueller, you need to write this stuff down. There's so many miracles that are happening around you. And so he wrote quite a lengthy um, autobiography, and that is the that's sort of the uh, foundation of what I learned in in, in working through that um, that history of his life and the answers to prayer. He did leave behind some other sermons, and there are other stories about him that were told by um, you know other other parties that were near to him. But the bulk of this is found in his um, in his autobiography. Brent, um, share with us some of those, I guess we would call them miracles. You know, he's, he has no food for the orphans, and there's a knock on the door, and there's milk to be delivered. Right. and all. It right. seemed that was endless. Can you expand on that? Right. Yeah, and that story, um, the beautiful thing about that story, not only the miracle that God brought about, but um, when the orphans were, were hungry one day, and they needed to go to school, and he was concerned they were going to go um uh, feeling weak and not having proper nourishment. So he gathered the children and all the staff together, and Pat, they prayed uh, a gift. They prayed a, a prayer of thanksgiving to say, Lord, thank you for what you're about to do to provide this food for us, uh, to have our daily bread. I love the fact that they prayed um, a prayer of thanks and praise before the prayer was even answered. And it wasn't long before there was that knock at the door, uh, the milk truck had broken down in front of the orphanage. The milk was going to go bad. Uh, could uh, could the orphans use milk that day? And the baker called very close to that time, too, to say that he had overcooked. Can I give this bread for the orphans? So they had enough for the day. Other examples of um, times when Mueller would pray, um, such as when the, the boilers were about to go out in the orphanage, and it was going to be very cold that night. And so he prayed a very specific prayer that the wind would change so that the workers could have enough time to do what they needed to do uh, on the exterior to work on that boiler. And surely enough, uh, in God's timing, the wind changed and the children were kept warm at night. Uh, there are dozens of those types of stories. And, and Mueller told him with a, just a great uh, aspect of faith, you know, wanting other people to hear them and think, hey, that could happen for me, too. I, I can learn to pray. And, uh, and to trust in God for everything. Brent, I want to dig in deeply into these six concepts. Okay. So let me go back. Let, let's start okay. from the beginning. <clears throat> you shared with us abide in Christ. What does the word abide mean, and, and how do we do that? The word abide is uh, a word <clears throat> that Jesus used in John chapter 14 when he was talking about how he and his disciples were in relationship like uh, a branch is connected to a vine. And the disciples would draw their, their strength, their hope, everything they needed from the vine who was Jesus Christ. Now, that goes back to the picture of Israel in the Old Testament where it was described to be like a vine. And Jesus says, now the, the promise is fulfilled in me. I am the vine. You're the branches. Abide in me, which means to remain in me. You know, don't get disconnected. Don't forget me, but instead depend on me day by day. And if we're not abiding, Pat, do we have any reason to expect that God is going to, to hear our prayer and answer? Um, because what God longs for most, I believe, from us is to be in relationship and to be independent. So to abide is to make sure that every day, 
through prayer and through scripture study, through being in contact with other believers that can build you up. There's a, there's a way to abide in Him that is critical uh, so that our prayers can go before um, our Heavenly Father. You know, it says in Scripture that, that Jesus lives to intercede for us. He's at the right hand of the Father, whispering our prayer needs to our Heavenly Father. And so to abide means we're connected in that relationship all throughout the day. Brent Patrick McDougall, he is our guest. He's a pastor, senior pastor, First Baptist Church of Knoxville, Tennessee. His book, Prayer Power, that's what we're talking about, 40 Days of Learning to Pray Like George Mueller. Okay, let's go to the second principle here, complete dependence on God. That was the second tip. Uh, tell us more, Brent. That's right. So many people, um, I believe, use the language of depending on God, but the truth is they sort of walk around uh, as if God isn't there. Uh, many people, even a woman I talked to just recently who said she realized she had gone through the whole day. She's a, a teacher, a great teacher, but she said, I'd gone through the whole day and I realized I hadn't, hadn't really talked to God. I hadn't really thought of God. Um, and when we realize that kind of thing, we know that we're probably depending more on our own strength. We're not resting in the Lord and we're not um, believing, you know, as Jesus said, um, to, to come to him. All who are weary, heavy laden, I'll give you rest, uh, to ask for what you need, to seek first his kingdom. So complete dependence on God is, is sort of the practical application of that, of that inner reality of abiding. So that all throughout the day, Pat, whatever you're doing, I know you have a very busy schedule, you're impacting a lot of people, but really just every day seeking to bring everything before the Lord in, in quiet prayer and, um, and depending, resting on the Lord. That's great. You know, uh, Brent, uh, and we could talk about this all day. How in the world uh, does God deal with countless millions of prayers that are coming up into his uh, wheelhouse? Um, uh, and, and how does he deal with them all? I mean, how does, well, of course he's God. But right. uh, but here, but here, here's Brett McDougal. He's praying up from Knoxville, and Pat Williams is uh, coming in from Orlando, and my engineer Pete Paquette is right. requesting things here, and, and it it just blows me away, Brent. I know. Yeah, the uh, you know it, it reminds us, you know, there is a God, and we're not Him. Uh, <laughs> there there is a Creator, and um, and that Creator, you know, I think. Um, in, in God's amazing nature, loves us and knows us by name, knows the, the number of hairs that are on our heads, has numbered the days of our lives, um, that a God like that would ask us to call on him is, um, is amazing. And, and Mueller would say that we, we sort of stagger at the promises. We, we cannot believe uh, the things that Jesus said about asking for what we need and, um, and, and believing that God hears and is, and is rushing to answer us, we just can't believe it. And that, that, that can be a barrier, right? It keeps us from praying because um, we, we really struggle to, to know, well, how could God really know where I am and, and what's, what's happening? Uh, I've, I've got a story to share about that. If we've uh, got a moment here, Pat. Brent, I want to hear it, but we've got to take a break first. Hold, your, hold your thought, please. Okay. Brent uh, okay. McDougal is our guest. He's in Knoxville, Tennessee, senior pastor, First Baptist Church of Knoxville. 
We're talking about his book, Prayer Power, 40 Days of Learning to Pray Like George Mueller. We'll be right back with Brent. I'm Pat Williams. It's the Saturday Power Hour. And the call letters, AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word in Orlando. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word. Now, here's Pat. We're talking with Brent McDougall uh, up in Knoxville, Tennessee. Good old Rocky Top, Brent. Uh, That's right. Prayer power. Uh, Tell me your story. I came to Knoxville uh, a few years ago. I've been a pastor for about 25 years. I grew up in in Alabama, and uh, my family continues to uh, live mostly in Alabama. But we have felt um, for many, many years, my wife and I, Jen, that that God would eventually call us to East Tennessee. And we have loved this place. We love the people, the big-hearted people. Of course, they love Rocky Top. Big Orange is is king here. And uh, we have just... um, felt a great embrace by the city, and we see God doing miraculous things in Knoxville, Tennessee. And we're praying for a revival, and that God would use us to, uh, to be, you know, a light in, in this area, and then that that light would continue to grow. That's a great prayer, Brent. Uh, let, let's pray that it happens. Yeah. Let, let, me, let me get back to where we were. We, you, you've explained in depth uh, the first two prayer tips from George Mueller. Let's get to the third one. Uh, he said, forsake all known sin. Why, why is that so hard? Right. What happens, I think, there, Pat, is that we think that um, prayer is perhaps all about, well, I need to do these certain things. Uh, it's, it's adding, you know, to time in my prayer or to the, uh, the multiplicity of prayer. And that's certainly true. But what we don't often recognize is that uh, power in prayer is going to be hindered if we don't also seek to remove obstacles. You know, it's the same you know, principle when in the Old Testament uh, over and over God says, you shall have no other idols before me. So you could, come to the, you could come to the temple, you could pray, but if you're not actually removing idols from your life, then um, you're not going to be in right relationship with your Heavenly Father, the fullness of that. So Jesus talked about, hey, if there's any sin in your life, anything, uh, even the smallest of sins, uh, cut it out. You know, don't don't rationalize it. Don't put it off for another day. You need to immediately deal with that. Uh, when we think about forsaking sin, we don't often realize that um, that known sin really becomes a heart issue between us and God. And as we as we don't address that that sin, then um, we're not going to have the fullness of relationship. So that was pretty that was pretty um, uh, pivotal for me as I was learning to pray of just listing out, you know, in repentance, God, what are the areas of pride, or what are the habits that need to change, or is there anything in my life that is actually blocking uh, my relationship with you? And uh, I've experienced more peace as I've tried to be more intentional about forsaking sin. Um, Brent, I want to I want to stop here for a minute because and, and just talk to you about that statement you made about revival. Um, why doesn't revival come about more often? And what does it take to to start a revival? And what does the word revival mean? 
Well, the word revival is uh, an amazing word that is, is biblical. You know, the psalmist talk about revive us, Lord. Would you revive us again? Would you give us a new spirit? So um, it means to kind of re-life, that, that life would come again. And isn't it true, Pat, we, we are surrounded in culture by so much, we might just even call it the worship of, of death, of it's busyness that, um, that depletes our spirit. We are uh, every day, I think, discipled by a culture more than we are discipled by Jesus Christ and learning his way. So I think that, uh, as it says in the book of you know, Second Chronicles, if people will humble themselves, if they'll pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. So addressing what are the ways that are um, not godly. Um, then God says, I'll heal their land, I'll forgive their sin, that God will come quickly to help us. So I don't get the sense, Pat, that there's a really strong national prayer movement that is, that is really seeking after revival. Um, even with the churches that I've served, a lot of times I've just sensed a reticence that people would want to pray, that they would want to seek God's face. So I do think that prayer is critical to seeing um, a real spiritual renewal within within the, the land. What do you see in this regard? Does it take a great charismatic uh, leader? Does it take a a, a Billy Graham type uh, to get it uh, get it started, or can just uh, 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 some ordinary circumstances spark a revival? Um, yes, it's a it's a great question. I I, I believe that um, it's going to be found in um, it's going to be found in everyday people learning how to pray and and really seeking God's face, as Jesus said, you know, seek his kingdom and his righteousness first. Seek first his kingdom. Now, I do think that leadership is critical because isn't it true that the way that our leaders go, that's often the way that the people go. And so we need to be praying for our leaders and uh, lifting them up every day because leadership is critical. And so I think it's going to be a combination of, of both those that God has vested with the opportunity to lead as they stay humble and seeking the face of the Lord. And then the way that they encourage everybody to, to be a part of this. My, my guest is Brent Patrick McDougall. Brent, uh, I could picture that revival starting on the campus of the University of Tennessee. Yeah. I could see it starting with um, uh, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, perhaps. Uh, I could see it with a wave of football players and athletes on the campus. Uh, maybe a campus crusade uh, for Christ uh, effort. And, yeah. and just exploding across uh, the town of Knoxville. I love that, Pat. Boy, what a what a great prayer and, and what a great vision. And uh, in the history of revival, uh, often it comes through uh, young people, and it often comes through men. Uh, you know, with a with a turning toward the Lord. And uh, there's something about those those two sort of demographics within our culture that um, God often brings about something new, and uh, and a return to the Lord. So, hey. What a, what a great vision, and that really encourages me today that you can see it, because I can see it as well. And so now the question is, how, uh, how strong is that, um, 
FCA group at, at Tennessee? How strong is the Campus Crusade group? Uh, is, they are strong. Are there, yes. are there some uh, wonderful, wonderful things already in motion? And, there are great leaders that are on campus. There are um, some interesting sort of student-led efforts. Um, every Sunday night, Pat, there is a gathering that is uh, across denominations. It's really just uh, meant to be a time of really uh, praying for the Lord. Students gather informally. They come together. It's called The Walk. And they pray for one another, and they pray for revival. They're really seeking the Lord, and this bubbled up out of the student body. Mm. There are other ways that um, I see just amazing students who are are really taking up the mantle. We have a, a young man named Adam who's a part of our church, and Adam is going to be a great spiritual leader um, the more that he develops. He's got a heart for the Lord. He's got a, a strong mind for strategy for how to connect with people and reach people, this gives me a lot of hope. And, um, you know, I, I, don't, I think we need to keep believing that revival is possible. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm you know, mid-career. What can we do to, to really help to put on the out in front of people more and more of those young leaders and uh, really just build them up? so that they can reach that next generation. Brad, I'd like you to stay on uh, because we're running out of time. And um, if you've got another uh, 20 minutes, uh, let, let's continue. Uh, does that work? Sure. Does that work for you? We love that. Because we, st- we still have these three uh, remaining uh, prayer tips from George Mueller. And, yes. and I got another idea for you. So uh, okay. here we go. Brent Patrick McDougall. Uh, God's going to use him to start a revival in East Tennessee. Senior pastor of the First Baptist Church of Knoxville in his book, Prayer Power, 40 Days of Learning to Pray Like George Mueller. And when we come back, uh, we still have to get these last three nailed down. Uh, Step out in faith, pray in God's will, persist and persevere in prayer. Uh, Don't give up. Uh, This is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, and this is AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word, in Orlando, Florida. And back with Brent Patrick McDougall. But first, these messages. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Brent Patrick McDougal. Brent McDougal is with us. He's the senior pastor, First Baptist Church of Knoxville, Tennessee. Prayer Power, the name of his book. Brent, uh, here's the other thought that has hit me here just as we're talking. Uh, The SEC, the Southeast Conference, known for great football and great sports, uh, what if uh, what if all these leaders there there could be a great movement working in Gainesville, Florida, at the University of Florida? Uh, could something be stirring in uh, Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana? I wonder if they could all link up somehow, and this revival uh, would would come come through the young people in the Southeast Conference. What do you think? Absolutely, I think if we could see. Students have that same energy for the things of faith and the things of, of Jesus as they do for SEC football. It would it would move like a wave all across the United States. 
uh, we we know that there are lots of people of goodwill in all of these schools, and uh, God's at work on every one of those campuses. Uh, but not all the time do um, uh, do campuses support those ministries, and not all the time are churches ready to to come alongside and to, and to really encourage students. So we need to be praying for, as you mentioned, those ministries like um, uh, you know, camp, whether it's uh, crew or uh, InterVarsity, um, all those athlete sort of organizations, as well as those more traditional Baptist campus ministries, all those different organizations, they need our prayer and they need our support. Uh, and uh, I do believe that there, there could be something stirring uh, as, the, as sort of the prominence of the SEC continues to, to rise in college football. Wouldn't it be amazing to see a spiritual corollary to that? that happens on all these campuses. Uh, Brent, uh, I'm going to be in touch. I want to talk to you more about it off the air. Let's uh, let's see. what Wouldn't that be something? I like that. It, Brent, That's wouldn't great. that be something that off this little radio interview? <laughs> uh, that would be amazing. Wow. Yeah. Would love that. Well, let's get would to love that. Let's get to item number four. Step out in faith. That's the fourth prayer tip. Uh, uh, talk to us more about that, Brent. Right. So the exercise of faith is something that is really critical to seeing your prayers answered. Uh, I think about uh, like a baseball metaphor, someone that is up to bat, and they're sort of swinging that bat. You know, they're sort of moving that bat. It's rotating. It's not resting on the shoulder, but it's getting ready. And the reason is it's easier to have a full swing and to, and to get the swing you want when the bat is already in motion. So I believe that God blesses those believers that get up and, 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 and would say, Lord, I believe you're going to do something today. I believe that you're moving. Uh, you're going to give me opportunities to serve you. You're going to put people in my path that I can bless and, and help and pray for. So the exercise of faith is what calls us to step out and to do something, even if you don't see the, the fullness of that. Uh, in George Mueller's life, he began to pray for the, the launch of these orphanages. And he believed that God wanted him to do this. And so in the exercise of faith, he would, he would share the vision here and there. And he would look for ways that God was moving. He, he stepped forward even if God had not answered the prayer in fullness. So the exercise of faith is all about um, being willing to, to follow Jesus and to, and to move by the Holy Spirit even when the even when you don't know exactly where the road is going to take you, let's go to uh, prayer tip number five. You must pray in God's will, says George. Right, you know, Mueller would say that ninety percent of our problem is that we bring too much of our own agenda into prayer. We bring before the Lord, whether consciously or subconsciously, what we think needs to happen. And so at the very beginning, to, to pray in the will of God, I believe, means to say, Lord, um, I'm emptying myself of my own will, uh, of the outcomes. I am seeking your will. You know, as Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It's critical that we would affirm again and again, Lord, you have a will, and I want to be um, praying in sync with your will. Mueller put that into practice when he launched not only one orphanage, but he had the opportunity to, to open three more over the course of his ministry. 
And what he would do is he would continue just to seek God's face. He would continue to look at his circumstances. He would read God's word. He would pray. And then he would simply ask the Lord, will you reveal your will to me? Now, that's a bold prayer. You know, God, reveal your will. But isn't it true that uh, if God has a will, God's not going to play hide the ball with us. You know, God's going to reveal that will. And so to be seeking God's will means humbling ourselves. But it's critical if we're going to uh, see answers to prayer. And number six, persevere in prayer. Persist. Don't give up. Right. It's a little bit, um, it's, it's, it doesn't make sense necessarily. Why shouldn't we be able to pray just once? And okay, we've brought that prayer before the Lord. Why should I pray for it again and again? But what, what Mueller says is that God is actually pleased when we, prayer the, when we pray those, those long prayers, you know, the, the prayers uh, for family members, that they would come to know the Lord. That's not a one-time prayer. That is a going before the Lord again and again and seeking God's face on their behalf because there's spiritual warfare that keeps people from, uh, from coming to Christ. So to not give up too soon. Uh, it's always too soon to give up on God. God's a God of miracles. God is a God that, that, that moves in the most unexpected and unlikely ways. And so God is not offended when we just keep bringing before those prayers and, and looking for small ways that God answers those prayers and giving God glory all along the way. George Mueller. What a, what a man he must have been. What would it be like to sit down and have lunch with him today, Brent? I've thought about that. I think that he was a pretty humble guy. I think he would come across as a, um, a very relational sort of fellow to get to know. My sense is that whatever we happen to be talking about, he would find a way to redirect it to Jesus. You know, he would, he would talk about his faith. And um, I have sense that he was a very joyous person, even into his 90s. There was a joy that just exuded, exuded out, of, out of him uh, for the things of Christ. And Pat, that's the kind of faith I want to have the older I get. I want to get more and more joyous in who God is and, uh, and that my faith would grow over the course of my lifetime. That's what I imagine George Mueller would, would, would be like. I, I love, I'd love for that to happen. <laughs> how old, how old, maybe, how old are maybe you? Maybe I'll get a chance to speak to him one day. How, how old are you, Brent? I'm 52, Pat. Oh, you're a young guy. You're a young guy. <laughs> I'm, uh, the, the, the next book I'm working on, and it'll be out next year, is a book on uh, aging well, uh, living to a healthy 100. And oh, uh, we're, wow. we're having quite a time writing it. And, um, It'll be out next year, but uh, I, I believe uh, the most productive years of our life should be from 80 to yeah. 100. Yeah. Uh, yeah our, think of all that. Our, Experiences, our, yes, learning. Yes. Yeah. Our kids are raised. Our grandkids are generally raised. Uh, we, we're not burdened with day-to-day -day parenting. Uh, if our health is good, we've got all sorts of wisdom. Uh, we've got experience, uh, and, it, and it, it should be utilized fully. Um, I think one of the keys to revival is actually finding ways to connect um, those with more experience and those who are coming along in the faith. I, I really think this is important to, to honor our, the elders in our society and um, to not neglect uh, those
those relationships. So, yeah, I, I totally resonate with what you're saying. Brent, tell me about your church. First Baptist Church is an amazing church. Uh, we have been in existence for about 180 years in the Knoxville area. Seen, of course, a lot of change over time. We we uh, have our church campus right on the on the banks of the Tennessee River. Mm. So, um, you know, Knoxville is kind of a gateway to the Smokies. It's a beautiful location, and our church ministers to people who they're not there's not so much rural as they are more of an Appalachian kind of history that is present here. It's a very independent kind of a thinking place. Um, people who are so generous and good to one another. Um, there's there's a strong spirit in Knoxville, and uh, and First Baptist is you know we we counted a privilege that we've been able to minister here for 180 years. We don't take it for granted that, that God would use us, um, but we we continue to develop ministries um, among uh, the homeless population. You know, there are people who are, are down and out in our city, and, and Pat, there are people who are up and out in our city. You know, mm. A lot of loneliness and mental illness, and uh, we really are trying to love our neighbors well and and uh, to be to be obedient to God's calling here. So I'm grateful for the opportunity. Brent, what is the health of the Southern Baptist Convention these days? I believe that uh, the Southern Baptist Convention is, is healthier than than the press might sometimes uh, give it, you know, its due. Mm -hmm. There's been, of course, a lot of um, attention to um, examples of uh, sexual abuse and, and, you know, you might say sort of pastoral abuse. And um, unfortunately, uh, now that reckoning has come, but but I admire the way that the SBC is seeking to be more transparent about all of that name it and to support to support victims and create more structures that can that can really honor um, uh, those that are hurt within our churches one of the greatest parts of the SBC of course is um, just a, a love for evangelism uh, to reach those who are outside of Christ and so many practical ministries that just never get never get the press that, that the bigger things get so um, uh, you know, I, again, I think we need to pray for our denominations and uh, pray for our leaders. I know a lot of good people who are connected to the, to the Southern Baptist Convention, and um, and I and I believe that uh, God is still using that organization in a mighty way. Brent, when I say to you, uh, First Baptist Church, Orlando, Florida, what what comes to your mind? Ah, uh, I think of a great church. Uh, I, uh, I've been there many times. I, I attend a conference there every March called Exponential that is a church planting conference. And I'm always impressed by the vision of First Baptist Orlando mm. and uh, just, of course, the size. It's a, it's a big church. Um, the ministries there are strong. The leadership seems strong. The preaching is strong. So, yeah, I admire that church. Uh, that's been our church, uh, well, for almost 37 years now. Okay. Uh, yeah. The first pastor of ours was Dr. Uh, was Jim Henry, who's a, a, a Nashville guy. And, okay. and for the last uh, number of years, uh, Dr. David Youth is, has been the pastor. And, okay. uh, and, and everything you said uh, resonates with me. So yeah. that's, uh, what a, that's a good report. Yeah. 
good report. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's, you know, I'm grateful for um, the ministry that, that really encouraged my ministry, you know, to, to be able to open the campus and, and other groups that are coming in. To, you know, it, it, it's one of those um, churches that has not just a, a city or even a regional impact. There's a global impact that happens through First Orlando, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm thankful for that. Boy, that's good to hear. That's good to hear. Yeah. Well, Brent, um, we're, we're going to um, pray for a revival across the Southeast Conference. And uh, the, 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 and that stretches, boy, you know, that goes out to Texas A&M. It, I know. I uni- know. <laughs> uni- University of Missouri. That's uh, right. That's uh, right. Yeah. They're, they're now adding uh, Oklahoma and Texas. That's right. Yeah. 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 It, um, that, I mean, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of students are connected to all these schools now, but mm. that is, you know, God could do a mighty work and, uh, what a, what a great prayer for revival for the SEC. So good. I join you in that. Okay, Brent. Well, I, I think, uh, I think you and I are going to be doing some talking here and we'll, uh, I love that. we'll, we'll get, uh, we'll get some prayer firepower going up and, and uh, wouldn't, wouldn't that be something? It, it, you know, I, I, I love to read about George Whitfield and, and, yes. and how, how those revivals start. And I've often wondered uh, why, um, why did it have to be then? Uh, why, why can't it be now? Right. Um, so, you know, I do believe that one of the keys to revival, you know, because they've been across all sorts of different cultures, places, denominations, um, the, I think the biggest factor is when God's people say, God, we want you here. We want more of you here. We want your presence. Uh, we want your life. I think it's, it's, it's a real welcoming of God into every aspect of life. And, uh, I think that's, that's the foundation for revival. So I'll be, I'll be praying with you that, that God would do that throughout the Southeast. Brett McDougall has been our guest uh, for both sections. So pleased about that. And folks, um, here on uh, Christmas Eve, may we wish you a blessed Christmas. And remember the real meaning of, of this day. Jesus was born. Jesus is alive today. Jesus is waiting to enter into your heart. Uh, We'll see you next weekend here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Stay tuned all day long, all year long. AM 990, FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Merry Christmas. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Well, folks, uh, Brent Patrick McDougall has agreed to stay with us through this segment. We're so pleased. We've been talking about his book, The prayer power of, of George Mueller, and we've all been impacted, and uh, we've been brainstorming about a revival, and who would have guessed? But Brent, uh, we're on the eve of Christmas, and I'd love for you to, uh, well, l- let's do this. Let's pretend this is your uh, Christmas Eve sermon, uh, your Christmas Eve uh, uh, service, and uh, and talk to the listeners here across Central Florida about Christmas and why it's so important and what it means to should mean to all of us. Thank you for that opportunity. I love Christmas and the, the you know yearly recalibration of our hearts 
toward uh, wonder and toward uh, the mystery of the incarnation. Uh, this year, for my Christmas Eve service, I'm going to do uh, a sermon that is different from any I've ever done in ministry. Because I'm going to I'm going to preach from Colossians chapter one. Really, which says it says uh, it talks about Jesus saying he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him, through him, all things are made. And what I want to do is illuminate that this uh, little baby born in vulnerability in, um, in humble circumstances was actually the one through whom everything is held together. There's such hope in, uh, in that because we know that God cares for us. I mean, God in God's, as we talked about sovereignty and omnipotence, God has seen fit uh, to come all the way to us and to, um, and to love us and to do for us what we, what we could not do for ourselves. I was recently um, uh, helping my wife. Her car had kind of slipped off of our drive down into some grass and, uh, we could not get that car out, Pat, and uh, we tried everything. I got mud all over myself. We ended up calling uh, AAA, and they came and, and, and eventually showed up to, um, to get us out. But I was thinking about how there was really nothing I could do. I mean, I was totally helpless. I couldn't meet that guy halfway. I couldn't do anything. And I was so glad he came all the way to, to help us. And, uh, and that's the, what God's done for us. You know, the creator of the universe has come to us come all the way. We couldn't do anything to, to meet him even halfway, but he's given us everything. And, uh, and that's the hope that we have in Christ. Mm. It's a beautiful message. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, moved, uh, Brent, as you, as you shared that, uh, because right around the corner comes Easter. Right. And, and uh, the, two, the two come so close together. Um, what, what do you think of that? What, 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 what's the story? Um, expand, please. I think that Easter coming in this proximity, um, of course, to Christmas, it really gives the church a really good, a good window or a season in which to really tell the, the story of Jesus, uh, to talk about um, the reason for which he came and the life that he would live you know, the, the season leading to Easter is often a season of repentance, and it's a season of um, reflection. So what we can do between Christmas and Easter is really get our hearts right. You know, you've also got the new year with a, mm-hmm. a new beginning, you know, a new opportunity to put a new practice into place or um, a, a way that you want to change. And God can, God can use the new year to propel uh, the change that uh, God wants to bring about in your life gets you to that Easter Sunday when, once again, we remember uh, the resurrection and the day that everything changed through Christ. So my hope is that um, you know we're going to see we're going to see God's people really encouraged in the coming months. Uh, tell me <clears throat> a, a good thought. A good thought as uh, New Year's approaches. And uh, what should we be thinking spiritually as the new year approaches? Some churches have a word of the year uh, and and so forth. But uh, talk to us about the new year. I would say a a good word for the new year is is perseverance. Uh, Don't give up. You know, so many people are discouraged right now. They're frustrated. 
mental illness is uh, is, is rampant, and, uh, and suicide rates. So many people are are frustrated and and feeling isolated, and a good number of people, Pat, maybe they don't have a mental health crisis, but they just have lost the excitement for life. Uh, that's what life circumstances can do to it sometimes. But if we really believe that hope has come through Jesus Christ, then then we of all people have um, should have a perspective that uh, that perseveres in the day of trial. So I would just encourage people: uh, don't give up. Just remember, Christ is here. Christ is among us, and uh, and there's hope in Him. And there's nothing, nothing that is impossible. And we when we put our trust in Him. What is causing all of this suicide? What what what's going on? I believe that um, the pace of life, the the technology, um, as you've probably read, you know, social media has a has um, has many good things about it, but it can also have a negative impact on the way that we view our lives. And then I would say, concurrently and very sadly, there's been a real distrust in the American church um, of of the last you know, a couple of decades, declining attendance, people looking for answers. You know, it's like that old air supply song, looking for love in all the wrong places. And uh, they're, they're searching, they're, they're hoping, but, um, but they're not finding the answers that, that lead to peace. So it shouldn't surprise us when we see a lot more anxiety, a lot more hopelessness, um, the rise of these problems that we thought we were just going to get better and better, but the truth is we're, we, we seem to be regressing. And uh, we've really become unmoored by, by the hope that has sustained America for a long, long time. Well, that's a good challenge for all of us. Um, here's another question I've got for you, Brent. Um, we all talk about reading the Bible and the importance of it, but boy, that can be overwhelming to people. Yes. Uh, do, yes. do you have some uh, counsel for us there? I believe that uh, Bible reading is critical, not only for prayer, but also just to get to know the heart of God and to experience more peace. Um, what I try to do, Pat, is to, uh, is to start the day in Bible study and in prayer. It's kind of my way of saying, God, I want your words to be first, because I'm going to hear a lot of words today, and I'm going to you know, feel overwhelmed by some things that happen and that come to me. But God, let your words be the foundation of, of all that happens today. So um, what, what my wife and I, Jen, have done for several years, we read through um, uh, a text study. It's called the Moravian Text, and it's a two-year Bible plan that has a psalm, a New Testament reading, and an Old Testament reading. It's just a way to kind of move through the Bible uh, in, a, in a rhythm and uh, in a system. And we just found, Pat, it's, it's just like food for the soul every single day. And um, as, we, as we read through the Bible, we, we see things we didn't see before. And we, we've become stronger as a, as a married couple. We have um, we've sensed more hopefulness in our circumstances. It's really revolutionized our lives when we really dedicated ourselves to reading every day and to reading the whole Bible. Uh, so there are lots of Bible plans out there. There are great apps, you know, that give Bible plans. Maybe people could start the new year with a just a seven day. If you don't do anything, hey, commit to seven days, uh, January first through the through the through the seventh, and um, and use one of those Bible plans through U version, whatever it may be. But just start somewhere and, and see what God can do with that little seed. 
advice I got many, many years ago, uh, Brent, uh, from an old Bible scholar named Dr. Lehman Strauss. Okay. And, and Lehman Strauss said to me, because I was struggling, he said, I want you to take the book of James. This was the 1st of July. He said, I want you to read it through once a day, every day for this uh, month of July. That'll be 31 times you read James. He said, it'll take about 20 minutes a day. And he said, I guarantee you at the end of July, you'll feel like the book of James is yours. Mm. You will feel like you, you own it. Now, that was July 1st, 1975. And I can, wow. I, I, and so whenever James comes up, I said, yeah, yeah, that was my, that's my, that's my guy. Uh, the month of July, 1975, I spent it with James and James alone. Well, folks, we've run out of time. And uh, I want to thank Brent Patrick McDougall. He stayed with us for the full hour. And boy, it was a good hour. Great hour, actually. We got to wrap up after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word in Orlando. We'll wrap it up right after this. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, the word. Now, here's Pat. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. And our guest the entire time was uh, Brent Patrick McDougall talking about his book, Prayer Power, 40 Days of Learning to Pray Like George Mueller. Well, folks, um, speaking of books, uh, my latest book is just out. It's called Who Coached the Coaches? And here's what happened. Uh, Over a six or seven year period, I asked uh, hundreds of coaches one question. Who was the key person in you becoming a coach? And they told me. And uh, I, the, the book is exactly what they said to me. And some of the coaches, well, uh, the Phil Jacksons of the world and Joe Torrey and Pat Riley. And, uh, oh, it was a fascinating list. And uh, the book is available now. Uh, go up to Amazon. every. It's called uh, Who Coached the Coaches? I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, we've got more next weekend. Uh, in the meantime, have a blessed Christmas, a great holiday, wonderful uh, Jesus-focused Christmas. This is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, AM 990, FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We'll see you next weekend. Merry Christmas. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this time, where faith comes by hearing. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.